Hello, Revolution. What's going on, everybody? That was weak. That was very weak, but I'll take it. Um, I have Anthony Sheets here. He's going to give a quick announcement before I resume. What's up, guys? Um, I just, uh, this morning here at Christ Community, we announced an event we have coming here to Portsmouth, Ohio, Labor Day weekend, which is either like the 4th and 5th or 5th and 6th of September. Uh, we're going to have a Gus Macker basketball tournament. In case you don't know what that is, it's a three-on-three basketball tournament. Uh, it's a company out of Michigan that travels around the country and puts on these tournaments. But we're going to bring one to Portsmouth um, that weekend. And what I need from you guys is that weekend we're going to open up the doors of both Christ Community and Revolution and build relationships. Because out of the 250, 300 teams that are going to come to this tournament, 75% of them are going to come from here in Portsmouth. And we want to reach out to them and then invite them back into Revolution or Christ Community. Um, So what I need from you guys is on that day to just, you know, be here, uh, build relationships with people. And if you... If you want to get uh, involved in any other way, uh, get a hold of me. I'll be here uh, the next couple weekends uh, and and starting this thing off. Um, If you can, um, if you have any questions, stop me. Um, What we're going to do is the profit that's made from this this event, we're going to continue our work in Uganda, whether it's building a well um, or helping out with the orphanages and stuff over there. So if you have any questions, stop me, uh, talk to me. Uh, other than that, that's all I got. Thanks, man. Okay, well, thanks, Sheets. Um, the rest of my announcements, I will try to keep it nice and quick. Um, we have some small groups going on with Revolution. If you guys are not involved, um, we would really love for you to be more involved. We have a sign-up sheet if we, if you guys want to write down your information for us. Um, small groups will help you develop um, your relationship with Christ and help you grow with the relationships here that you can make with um, our church. And so we just really want to push you weekly because going to church uh, just every Sunday or Wednesday um, really is not going to cut it if you want to grow. Okay, um, some of the small groups we have, Stephen is doing a Bible study after the service tonight. Um, On Monday nights, we have a college Bible study in Massey. So for those of you who are at Shawnee, we'd love for you to get involved that way. Um, On Tuesday nights, Dustin Cooley does a Bible study at the Rev House. So if you guys have any questions about any of those, um, just let us know. See anybody up on stage, and um, we'll get you plugged in. Uh, Tonight, um, there's a nursery meeting. Um, For everybody who's a core member at Rev or just wants to be more involved with the nursery, um, by the way, we we need more volunteers. Um, As more people come, we have more kids as well. Um, But there's going to be a meeting tonight in the nursery. So if you guys don't know where that's at, it's right when you come in the doors, take a left. Um, it'll be in there after the service. Um, hopefully, they'll remind you after we have worship. A free market is coming up the 25th of April, so that's literally like a month away. Um, what we'd ask of you guys is if you can make donations, um, non, uh, you know, the food that doesn't like deteriorate. Yes, non-perishable. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, hey, it's all good. Um, and new and used clothes. Anything that you guys, you know, we want to give um, something that you would want to receive yourself. So don't, like, give stuff that's old, worn out, that nobody would want. Um, but we'll be taking donations. You can bring them here. And on the 25th, uh, just see Alex and Autumn if you guys have any questions. Um, and that's going to be at the uh, Portsmouth um, First Church of the Nazarene on 3rd and Brown. Um, 
So please be bringing in uh, donations. The door is closing on that. And if you guys have um, any friends or if you guys are wanting to get baptized, we're going to be doing baptisms here uh, Easter weekend. Um, so really be thinking about that if that's a decision you need to make. Um, we'd love to have everybody uh, that, that is going to be able to do that as well. Um, and since it's warming up, we're going to have the East End Cookout starting up. Um, first one's going to be this Friday. So if you guys know um, where the Rev House is on 7th and Campbell, um, we're going to be having it there at 530. So if you guys want to bring, um, talk to Ali and AJ about what food, um, whether it's buns or, or uh, condiments, um, what we're going to be bringing. Currently, the tithe box is actually locked. Um, so if you guys tithe here or would like to give money towards that specifically, just see Dave or the Ali and AJ, and um, you know, we can get money sorted out towards that. That's about all the announcements I have. Um, you guys like to stand up and greet one another. How about just greet, greet someone that you don't normally talk to um, and just ask them what their favorite movie is. So, Go. What's up, Revolution? Do it one more again. What's up, Revolution? That was, that was fun. I always say this is the closest to being a rock star I'm ever going to get is getting you guys to yell whenever I say hello to you. <laughs> I tried. It didn't work out. I tried to play music for a while. It didn't work out. So I'm really excited to be uh, preaching this weekend. I, I had a week off last week, and uh, I get tired a lot. Like, cause I, like, I preach, man, I preach for like six months straight. And then, like, I get a week off, and I thank God for it. And then, like, I really, really, really miss it. Ryan did a good job last week. I'm not knocking on that or anything. I mean, he's getting old, but he still can bring it. Um, but, you know, like, I'm just really pumped to be here. Uh, this evening. It's been a good weekend. My fiance uh, won the People's Choice Award at Dancing with Our Stars, so I was pretty pumped on that, right? And she looked hot, like it was great. Um, all right, but enough about that. It's been an all-around good weekend. I'm pumped. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, now, something you might not know about me, or maybe you do. If you guys are new here, you wouldn't know this. Um, I live in a revolution house. Uh, Rev owns a couple of houses on the east end. Um, we're missions houses. We're down there to, um, we're down there to, you know, people know they can come to us and get help. Uh, we do cookouts and stuff like Kelly was talking about. Um, you know, we, we, we just do our best to help people and tell them the gospel and show love to them uh, in the community in the east end. And, uh, and I live there with a couple of godly dudes. Um, I live there with Stephen Walashek and Dustin Cooley. Go ahead and stand up, you two, real quick. All right, these two, this is Stephen and this is Dustin, and they're good dudes. They're hungry after the word. They know a lot about theology, know a lot about scripture. Stand up. I didn't tell you to sit down. <laughs> they love the Lord. They love telling people the gospel. They love to serve. That's why they live there, right? They're, like I said, they're hungry after scripture. They, they treat their ladies really good. And by ladies, I mean like they each have one. Um, they don't each have multiple ladies. They each have one lady, and they treat them really good, and they are disgusting. These guys are gross. I live with them, right? It has to do with a little bit of Jewish ethnicity. I didn't realize that I was living with swine, and I'm really not cool with that, right? It's not kosher, all right? You can sit down. You can sit down, right? And Stephen is the worst out of the two, right? It looks like Hurricane Katrina hit his room again, came back from the dead, and just destroyed everything, right? It's bad, bad, bad. But what I decided to do at the Rev House was I'm actually the clean freak, believe it or not. I don't look like it, but out of the three... Um, I guess pickings are slim. I'm the clean one. And, uh, and I decided to stop cleaning everything. Oh, God help us. Yes, it was bad. I wanted to see how bad it would get. And brothers and sisters, it got miserable, 
right? Like two feet of dishes in the sink. Anyone ever been in that house? Like it just it stanks. Like it doesn't stink. It stanks in there. All right. I actually got to a point where I hid like a bowl, a plate, a glass, a fork, and a spoon. I hid them in my room, and they're like, "Hey, man, you know what you do?" I'm like hiding them like Gollum. I'm like hissing at them whenever they come in the room, right? Like you go in the bathroom, and there's like there's garbage all over the bathroom. Like I don't know if anyone. It's gross. We have carpeted bathroom too. Like, good call, revolution on that one. Like I don't know how we got that. Um, There's like toilet paper rolls on the floor because everyone's too lazy to pick them up. And like, I want to pick them up, but on principle, I won't. There's like a foot and a half of trash in the garbage can. The little, yeah, the little tiny garbage can. It's gross. It's like something out of a Stephen King movie or like Adult Swim. It's like just weird and wrong. And like, you feel dirty after you watch it. At one point, I... At one point, I saw a rat scurry towards our garbage, turn around, and die three feet later. It was, it was nasty. But I wanted to see if anyone would do anything in our house. You know, Cooley broke down first. He obeyed the Holy Spirit, listened to his pastor, and, and started cleaning. Um, but here's the thing. We all agreed to take care of the house. Um, whenever we moved in there, you know, Revolution uh, pays the payment. We pay the utilities and stuff. And the, the thing is, you know, you keep the outside looking good. You keep the back porch clean. You keep the house clean. And you can live here while you're doing uh, ministry in the East End. Um, we know what's expected of us, but we don't always do that, right? Will we do it? We know what's expected of us, but will we do it while we live there? And we really need to step our game up, right? But that's what we're talking about tonight. Right, we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right, and we're going to see in this passage, we're going to see a dude. It says that he's an expert in religious law. I'm just going to call him a lawyer um, just for the sake of brevity. We're going to see this lawyer in this passage, and, and it, it, this dude knows what God expects from his people. He knows that God expects his people to love him and love their neighbor and serve their neighbor because they love God. And this lawyer is not doing that. And we're going to see that. Um, And that's a problem because true faith in God makes us act differently. True faith in God, recognizing that we have been served by Christ on the cross and in his resurrection, pushes us to want to serve other people, or it should. So whenever we see a lack of service among each other, we see that that's a problem. It was a problem for the lawyer, and I think it's a problem in the church right now. And I don't mean just revolution. I mean like the big capital C worldwide church, right? Uh, two weeks ago, me and my fiance went to a marriage uh, seminar thing up in Cincinnati. It was, it was pretty cool. There were like 700 plus people there, the vast majority of whom uh, claimed to be Christians, right? And, and were there. And I want you to bear this in mind. We had spent, um, all the people there had spent a couple, two, three hundred dollars just to get in, um, put up money for a hotel, put up money to eat, put up money for gas to get there, probably bought some stuff while they were there. So the people there have the money to, to I'm not going to say throw away, but throw away on a weekend like this. And here's what they did on Saturday. They dismissed us to go have a date night where people are going to go spend more money. Um, and as we walk out of the hotel, there are hundreds of Christians on this sidewalk And there is a homeless man standing on the corner that I found out later. His name was Glenn Campbell. And I watched hundreds of Christians walk by this man like he didn't even exist. He had a sign that said, homeless and hungry, please help. He wasn't even asking for cash. And everyone walked by like there wasn't a problem, like I couldn't even see him. And that's not okay. 
This is a worldwide problem within the church. And, you know, revolution does okay with this sometimes. Um, But we can step up our game for certain. And what I mean by that is some people in this church serve other people. Some people serve, but not most. Right? There's this mentality where there, there's probably between, between 10 and 20 people uh, in this church group that will actually go out and try to do things in the community and actually um, burden themselves and, and, and spread themselves thin to do things for others. And then the whole church group wants to say, yeah, we do this at Rev, and that's not true. The, the 15 do at Rev, and that's not okay. It not, ought not be so in the words of James. So what I want us to do is I, I hope that we can look at this parable that we're getting ready to check out, this passage, with some fresh eyes, right? And, and see if our actions and our lives actually match up with the faith that we claim to have in Jesus. And this is going to hurt. It hurt me. Um, but God wounds us in order to heal us, all right? So let's check this out, right? Let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 10. It's going to be up here on the projector. Starting with verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Right, so this lawyer... In this passage, he stands up and he basically asks, how can I be saved? What do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus' answer is, love God and love your neighbor, and you'll enter the kingdom that way. If you love God with everything that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself, you will be saved, right? These are things that we are commanded to do if we want to be saved. I want you guys to get that. Like, we're commanded to do these things. There's no other alternative. We're commanded. These are things that we are to do. Right, but what I want to get out of the way real quick, and this is where Christians screw this up and where I've heard preachers screw this up really bad. This text is not a lesson in salvation by works. This text is not saying if you're really good to the people around you, you'll go to heaven. Right? That's not what this text is saying at all. Paul would hate that idea. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Right? This is not, I don't want you guys to get it twisted, right? Because I'm going to be talking a lot about what we have to do as Christians. But I don't want you to get it twisted and think that do these things and you'll be saved. It doesn't work that way. Our salvation is found in Jesus Christ's perfect life, substitutionary death, and resurrection in our place for our sin to satisfy the wrath that God had on us because we are sinners. That's where our salvation comes from, is faith in what Jesus did. Not in what we do. Our works don't add to our salvation. None of that stuff. It's all about Jesus. All right, and this fact, right, that salvation comes through faith becomes really, really, really plain whenever we consider the first part of the command. Love God. We usually skip over that one and move on to the next one, and we're going to kind of dissect it. Um, check this out. Can you love someone that you do not know? No. No, you can't love someone that you don't know. I appreciate, the, I appreciate it, though. <laughs> I love you, too. You two are like my, you are my, like, crowd people over here. That's what I'm talking about. I love you. Right? 
You cannot love someone that you don't know. If you don't know about someone, you cannot love them at all, right? I, if I didn't know Autumn, I could not love her. So if we go back a few verses, we haven't read them yet. Luke chapter 10, verses, uh, verse 22, Jesus Christ says this, My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Loving God, everything hinges on knowing Jesus. If you don't know the Son, you don't know the Father. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't trust Jesus for your salvation, if your faith is not in Jesus, you cannot love God. You can't even move on to the second command because you can't obey the first one yet. If you don't love God, or if you don't love Jesus, you don't love God. All right, so trust in Jesus, and then you can move on, right? But this love for God, I think this is where we screw this up too. It's not just mental assent, right? It's not just this mental thing where, yeah, I love God, you know, whatever. This is all-consuming love for God, right? With your heart, with your soul, with your strength, with your mind. You know, you could look at those individually, but I don't think that was the point of what Jesus was saying. He's saying the whole man all of you is in love with God, right? This is sold out, complete and utter devotion and allegiance to God. And, and it's not abstract, it's, it's concrete, right? It's not just this thought that I love God. It manifests itself in action. And those action uh, is, is obedience to God's standards. It's obedience to his command and it shows itself in how we live, but I don't want you guys to get the, the, the wrong idea. This is not a rigid obedience where it's like, oh, I really hate God's commands, but I'm going to do it anyway like a soldier does, right? It's not that kind of a rigid obedience. This is loving God for who he is. Love God, obey his commands, love him for who he is. This is being completely and utterly captivated by the grace and mercy of God that he would show you a sinner who is in rebellion against him. The, the love and power that God has over you, falling in love with his justice and his righteousness and his goodness and understanding that his commands are for his glory and our benefit and we were created to obey him to find his will for us more beautiful than our will for ourselves. This is obeying God. This is loving God because we find him beautiful. And we see his beauty in his commands and his words because we find him beautiful. We, We must see that about him in order to love him truly, right? But I'm not a sap. Right? I'm not trying to get like all like mushy and gooey. I hate chick flicks. Anyone? Ladies? Nicholas Sparks? You're all sinners. Don't, don't watch that stuff. Uh, that stuff sucks is what it does. Like, I don't know if it's like sinful in and of itself, but like that is just garbage. And that one chick from the Mean Girls never got any of the Nicholas Sparks like movies. That always made me laugh. And the fact that I know Mean Girls says a whole lot about my masculinity. Um, fun fact, Titanic is the one chick flick that I'll actually accept. <laughs> and it's not because of the drawing scene. Like don't get me wrong on that. I fast forward that part, but like the movie is good. And a weird thing about me and Autumn's relationship, I'm the one who showed her Titanic and not the other way around. So this is just a whole weird thing. Uh, But I I, I digress. (laughs) I find God beautiful, and because I find him beautiful for what he has done for me and the kind of patience and mercy that he's had on all of us who trust in him, it pushes me and motivates me and makes me gravitate towards obedience. And it's in seasons of disobedience that I don't find him beautiful. So consider that. And all of this love for God flows from our faith in his son, Jesus. We love Jesus, therefore we love God. Then the second command comes. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the one that we're probably more familiar with. This is love that expresses itself in service to others. This is showing other people around us the same kind of service and love that we show ourselves daily. All right, and I'm not going to go into like, I know like a big part of the parable is like everyone's your neighbor, right? But I'm pretty sure like we all get that generally, right? We've heard that a lot. That's true. That's the major part of the text, but I'm not going to dig into that a lot. I want you to know that your neighbor, the people you're supposed to be loving and serving, is anyone and everyone that you come in contact with with a need that you can meet. All right, that is your neighbor. But we're going to see that more later. Right, but how are we doing on that? How are we doing with loving other people like we love ourselves? I don't do, like, super well with that all the time, right? And we really love ourselves, right, don't we? Like, look at this beard, <laughs> right? Like, I take care of it, I brush it, I put oil in it, I shampoo it. I look hot. My eyes are up here, ladies, um, right? These tattoos are on fleek, right? Like, everything about me looks good. I know that. We love ourselves. We do. We love ourselves. We, think about this. We, we, we feed ourselves, Do we not? We feed ourselves. We talk to ourselves, some people more than others. Some people actually open their mouths and audibly talk to themselves, which is weird. Um, We we help ourselves whenever we need help. We're willing to get out and do work. We work for ourselves to get the things that we want. If we want to learn how to do something, we educate and and try to teach ourselves the best that we can. Uh, But do we do that for other people? It got real. This is part two of inheriting eternal life, loving others this way, because this is how a true lover of God lives, loving other people. But why? Why is that the the next logical step? This is pretty cool. One, we we love God, so we want to obey his commands, one. Uh, But two, you can't love God without loving your neighbor, because all the positive commands that God gives us to go and act affect the people around us. So we love God vertically, and then horizontally it spreads out to everyone that we're around, because that's what obeying God's commands does. And second, and this is really, really, really cool, we love God. We love everything about him, including his image. The Bible says in Genesis that we were made uh, male and female. He created them in his image. He created them. So if we love God, we will love his image. That's just how it works. And we don't do that well. And neither did the lawyer in this. Verse 29 says this. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right? We do that. Right? Okay, Jesus is supposed to love my neighbor like I love myself. But who is my neighbor? Right? Like, uh, this is getting kind of real for me. Right? And some people in here probably feel uncomfortable right now. Like, amen? Like, some of you probably feel like I feel in a Baptist church. And not very many people laugh, so I assume we have some Baptists here, and I apologize. Um, whatever. Whatever. Uh, not a fun time for me. I feel really out of place, feel really awkward. Uh, I'm not going to say you're in good company because the lawyer here is in the wrong, and he felt uncomfortable, but I felt uncomfortable with it too. Right? Jesus says, love God and your neighbor, and you'll have eternal life. And that just makes sense because, like I said, this is what having true faith in Jesus looks like. It it results in a change uh, in how we treat other people, right? And and we begin to respond in love for others because of the love being shown to us, right? Love creates love creates love. That's just the biblical, like, progression, right? And that's terrifying for us, that that's what a believer looks like. It's terrifying for us because the alternative is, if you're not living in this way, you're not a Christian. It's terrifying. So what do we want to do? We want to limit the scope of this command. We want to say, well, who's my neighbor then? 
Because we don't want to admit, oh, wow, this is a really, like, this is a huge, daunting task for me to love and serve other people. So, like, I want to soften the blow as much as I can. Because we don't love everyone with self-sacrificial love. Actually, we selectively help and love people, do we not? Um, We choose our family. Uh, We choose, well, some of our family. We choose um, our close friends. Right? We choose the people who can get us jobs. We choose the people who can get us where we want to go. Right? We choose the people that we want to show love to instead of doing it indiscriminately like Jesus is telling us to. And the lawyer was guilty of the same thing. A right? little bit of a historical thing. This is, I'm a nerd. Here we go. Uh, right, uh, Jewish people, uh, in a lot of like first century and before, there was this thought right, for who your neighbor was because like that command, love, love your neighbor as yourself, is found in the book of Leviticus. Um, so it was a Jewish command from the Old Testament, and they were trying to limit, limit the scope of who their neighbor was. So they would say, here's your neighbor, the good, the godly, the devout Jewish people who actually follow God. That's your neighbor. Those are the people you're supposed to help. But you do not help the sinner. You do not help the people who aren't helping themselves. You do not help the wicked. That's what Jewish thought was back then. That's why the lawyer asked the question, well, who's my neighbor then? Because he thought the goodly, the good, godly, and devout were his neighbor. Now, my question is, how much does the church look like that now? Right? Like the worldwide church. How much does that look like us? Where we say, we don't want to help the ones who, uh, who won't help themselves. Right? And, and revolution does it too. Seriously. Like, we might not say it in word because we're too smart for that, right? Because you've heard me and Matt before me pound into your head that, like, there's Jesus and then there's everyone else, that we've all rebelled against God, that we've been dead in our sins, that we did nothing to save ourselves, that we couldn't choose God, but he chose to save us, and we did nothing for it, that we were completely rebellious, but that he loved us, so that we're really no better than anyone else so that we should seek to serve everyone. So we've heard that for so long that we're too smart to say it with our mouths that we feel that way. But in our thoughts, I know that if I've thought it, that someone's not worth my time and not worth my help and not worth my effort. I know if I've thought that, I know you guys have too. Uh, unless I'm just the worst sinner in the room, which is very possible. Um, and if we haven't thought it, we've definitely expressed it in our action or lack of action. Actions speak a lot louder than words. The Bible actually like, would affirm that view. So you might say that you don't feel that way about people, that you're willing to serve anyone, but are you? Do you? Do I? You know, so to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus decides to, to go after it and, and tell a parable. And in this parable, we're going to see him answer, who is my neighbor? And he's going to show what uh, loving God truly looks like, right? And he's going to do that in, in, in showing us three men that would have claimed to love God and what their actions actually proved. All right, so let's check it out. Luke 10.30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. So this dude is not in a good spot. He's been robbed. He's naked. He's beaten half to death on the side of the road, bloody. He's going to die if someone does not help him. 31. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. So let's check out the priest. This dude should have been a godly guy. 
is a priest. He knew the commands of God. He worked in the temple. He presented sacrifices to God on behalf of people who couldn't go in there. He was supposed to love and serve God. He knew the book better than anybody. And what does he do? He passes the guy by who's who's dying and in need of help. Now, there's conjecture about why he passed by, whether, um, you know, he didn't want to make himself unclean because if he touched a corpse... And he would have thought the guy was dead. If you touch a corpse, you're unclean for seven days, and he wouldn't be able to go in the temple. And there's conjecture about why he passed by. But Jesus doesn't give us a reason why he passed by. All Jesus said is, this dude disobeyed God and did not help him. Regardless of the reason, he chose not to show any love whatsoever to this guy, and he knew better. He's a priest. Verse 32. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side, right? And the Levite hits a lot more home to me, right? A uh, temple assistant and Levite, same thing, right? This Levite, he was second to the priest. He should have been a godly guy too. He worked in the temple as well. He, he knew the law. He knew the commands of God. He also was supposed to love God and serve God. Right? But he chose to do nothing. And, and what makes this a little bit more real for me, and I think it will for you, is he actually walked over to the guy and saw him. He got really close. I'm sure he felt pity. Right? And then what did he do? He chose to do nothing. This is the guy that hears about something bad happening in Portsmouth and says, oh, you know, that's awful, what a tragedy, and then goes back to his life like nothing happened. And this is most of us. We see the needs and we see the problems and we admit they exist and then act like we like literally act like we just saw it on TV and it's not real. We're just like this temple assistant. A quick thought. Doesn't the inaction of people prove their lack of conviction? Doesn't it show that they don't believe what they say that they do? Because they won't do anything? That's like me chiefing a cigar saying I think smoking should be outlawed in Ohio. Or saying that I love Autumn and I never make any attempts to see her. I don't call her. I don't text her. I don't go and do anything with her and yet still claim that I love her. It doesn't make sense. And it's the same thing with knowing what God says and not doing it. It's no different. You're a liar. Another thought this occurred to me. Doesn't it cast doubt on the reality of our God's existence on the unbeliever when we say that we profess that we should love our neighbor because we love God and then do nothing? As a former atheist, I can say, yeah, it does. Does it not cast doubt on the unbeliever? Verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Right, despised Samaritan. Some of you guys don't know why why would he call him a despised Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Like they were they were enemies, right? Think like redneck rivalries, right? Like Chevy versus Ford, man. Like I'll see you in the parking lot. Anyone else? Like found on road dead, stuff like that. Like the tow truck had to drive my Chevy home, stuff like that. Copenhagen versus Skull. Those are another redneck thing. I work in a convenience store. I see this stuff. Budweiser versus Miller. And I'll tell you this. No one wins the Budweiser versus Miller argument. Everyone loses. (laughs) That's just nasty, gross stuff, right? But Jews and Samaritans, right? These were theological adversaries, right? They disagreed on almost everything. But here's what they did agree on. There was one God, the same God of the Old Testament, Right? And, um, and that the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, were the law of God, and they were bound to obey it. 
right? They, they agreed on that much. But consider this, the Jewish man on the side of the road on a good day would have wanted to spit in this Samaritan's face because he hated him. Keep that in your mind. Hated him. But regardless of how much the Jewish man uh, on the road would have hated the Samaritan, what does the Samaritan do? He obeys the command to love his neighbor. Because it doesn't matter if you like the person or not. It doesn't matter if they're messing up their lives. And consider this too. The dude that was half beaten on the side of the road, he put himself there. You would travel in caravans whenever you went down this road. This road wasn't an imaginary road. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was actually like, it's, it was called like the bloody path, I think is what like one of the nicknames was. It was 17 miles of twists and turns and rocks and bandits would hide back there. And bandits on that road were actually a problem until the early 1900s, right? This dude went by himself instead of traveling in a caravan. It was his fault he was on the side of the road, half dead. Keep that in your mind too. But what does the Samaritan do? He obeys the command to love his neighbor. He doesn't say, you put yourself there, man. I don't care. He said, I will obey because I love God. And he felt compassion. And if I understand this Greek word right, it's this gut-wrenching, like heartbreaking, I can't, it makes me almost physically, visibly sick, broken heart that results in love and action. And he felt that for someone who hated him. And then what does he do? He acts. He actually does something. 34. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So what we see is the Samaritan doesn't say, hey, bro, I'll pray for you. Hey, man, I hope things really get better for you. I'll see you later, bro. He actually physically, tangibly does something. He shows his love for God by what he does for other people. I think we could take a note of that. Right, and then Jesus, in the next verse, we're going to see he goes on to flip the original question. Who is my neighbor? Right, how do I love God? Who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to be showing this kind of love to? And in verse, verse 36, Jesus flips it. He says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. So what Jesus does is he turns to our trying to identify our neighbors and our um, trying to figure out, you know, okay, so how am I supposed to show love? He, he, he turns our questions of trying to limit the scope of the command into our responsibility to be a neighbor. I thought that was interesting. That we're, show to love, we're to show love tangibly and be a neighbor in order to love our neighbor. Jesus tells us it's the one who acts. The one who shows love is the one who loves God. The one who is in the right. And the lawyer understands the point that Jesus is trying to make here. If you love God, you will act. If you're a Christian, you will serve. You will do something. And the lawyer gets that. And he says this in verse 37. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So the lawyer admits that the one who proved his love for God was the one who showed mercy, the one who acted. And I think that that was Jesus' point. So what I want us to take away this evening is this. Jesus is not concerned with what you know. He's concerned with what you do. That's the one thing I want you guys to take away from this more than anything. The Samaritan had terrible theology. 
Outside of the first five books of the Old Testament, he rejected everything else. He had bad doctrine. The priest and the Levite knew the word better. The priest and the Levite knew more. They had better theology. They had better beliefs. They had better doctrine. But the Samaritan acted on what he knew God commanded. He was the one who did it. It's all about what we do, not so much what we know. And this goes back even to verse 28 where the lawyer gives the right answer. He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what does the law say? What does the law of Moses say? And he gives him the right answer. He says, love God, love your neighbor. And Jesus says, you are right on. Now go and do it. Jesus wasn't just satisfied with with us knowing the right answer. He says, go do it. And time and time again throughout Scripture, we see God declare that he is not just concerned with what we know. He wants action as a response to our love for him. You don't believe me? In Revelation it says, and they were judged, every man according to their works. James says, don't be hearers of the word only, but do the word. In Matthew, Jesus says, go and make disciples of the nations. And here in Luke, or Jesus says, go and do likewise. Commands to go. And I'll say it again. I want to make it very, very clear. This is not a call to save yourself by being really good. This is not the point. Because you cannot love God if you do not have faith in Jesus. Remember, you can't even go on to the second command if you don't know Jesus yet. You must love Jesus to love God. I cannot put that through to you enough. But then, if you have trusted Jesus for your salvation, the action and response of someone who truly trusts in Jesus is to love and serve your neighbor. And I'll tell you this, you will never love your neighbor until you see yourself as the broken traveler in this story. Until you realize that you have been ministered to, you will never minister to anyone else, ever. Until you realize that you have been served, you will not serve. Until you see yourself as the man in need of mercy and love. Until we view ourselves as the broken, half-dead, bloody, beaten man in need who put ourselves there. And then see Jesus as the Samaritan, the one that we did not love, the one that we have shown no love to our entire lives and were hostile against until we see him as the Samaritan. The one who takes us to the end and says, I will pay whatever it costs to make him well. Until we see Jesus as him and us as the beaten, broken man, we will never serve anybody. We have to recognize that we've been served in order to get us to respond in service and love. We have to realize the good news. We have to realize the gospel of Jesus. That in our sin, we've put ourselves on the side of the road. We've sinned against God. We have not loved him. We have not loved God. We have not loved our neighbor. But that in infinite mercy and grace, God sent Jesus to leave the perfection of heaven and come and die an innocent man as a substitute for guilty men and women who have not loved God, who did not love Jesus. But that he would love us in that way and satisfy God's wrath for our sin in our place. That we've been served in that way. And Jesus did it because he loved God. And because he loves God, he loves us. Until we get that into our head, 
we will never seek to emulate Jesus. We will never seek to emulate that kind of love. Jesus is the ultimate lover of people. We get that. We want to be like him. So I just want to take a minute and say this. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't trust Jesus for your salvation, today is the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Believe. And I'll have a prayer for you. Believe that Jesus took your penalty in your place, that you were the broken man who had sinned against him and put yourself in that situation, but that you're going to trust what he did on the cross completely for your salvation. Believe that. And then begin to love God. And then begin to love your neighbor. And I'll tell you this, apart from Jesus, there is no hope. You stand broken and dead and beaten and guilty of your sin without Jesus. Trust in him because there is no hope without him. And if you want someone to talk to you about that, come see me after the service. Or or during worship music, we're going to have a couple people over here by the couches. They want to talk with you. They want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. If you needed something explained that I've said more, I want to talk to you. I love you because I love God. We want to see you join us in loving other people and loving Jesus. But those of us who are already Christians or claim to be Christians, I've given you more knowledge. I've burdened you, right? Like I've told you more. Now you're responsible for more, right? You know more. We like to know more, especially here at Rev. We love doctrine. We love knowing what the Bible says. But the question is now, will you do? Right? James 4.17 says, if you know what you ought to do and don't do it, it's sin. It's sin of omission. Right? Doesn't that suck? Right? We know we're supposed to do now. So now we got to do it. Are you going to show God by loving other people? Or are you going to be proven to be a liar like the priest and the Levite? James, Jesus' little brother, says faith without works is dead. All right, It's not true faith. It's false faith. It's you're lying to yourselves, and you don't love Jesus if you're not willing to go out and love others. All right, now, at Rev, you guys know that we've got some stuff coming up. We've got free market in, in April. Uh, we want you to donate stuff. We want you to volunteer. We want you to volunteer for sorting. Right? We've got East End stuff starting up. We want you to be there. Uh, we want you to, to come and cook with us and come love the people there with us. We've got uh, nursery and stuff that, that needs volunteers, right? And those are all great service opportunities, and there are ways to love others. Do them. Um, seriously, like, like do them. We need help, and I'm not too proud to beg you. Like, help me out here, right? But that's not my point, though. The point of Rev is not to get you to do some service opportunities, pat yourself on the back and say, see, I went to the East End two times. I'm a Christian. That's not the point uh, here. I I want to see everyone in here serve on their own um, as individuals daily. And I want that because Jesus wants that. Um, Service is to be all the time, regularly, uh, and spirit-led. Whenever you see a need, you meet it. So what I'm doing this evening, all right, and this is going to be a little bit weird, um, I'm challenging everyone in this room to start your own ministry. Terrifying, isn't it? Start your own ministry. It's terrifying, but it's biblical. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 and 18 says this. He, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. 18, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Other translations say he has given us the ministry of reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God through Christ. 
And I'm not just trying to do a play on words with the word ministry. It's not what I'm trying to do. I'm saying all of us have been charged to go and serve other people with the objective to tell people the good news and see them saved. Everyone. It's not just my job. This is because I got a mic and I preach. It's not just my job. This is a charge to all believers. That letter, 2 Corinthians, was not written to pastors. Um, pastors were there, but it was written to everyone. Um, but what's that look like, right? What's it look like to start your own ministry? That's like a pretty open-ended thing. Um, that's exactly what it is. It's super open-ended. I don't know what that's going to look like for you. I don't know your skill set. I don't know what your hobbies are. I don't know what you're into. But wherever you are, you have to be serving. You have to be loving people. I don't know, I don't know where you're at. But I can tell you some ideas of what it could look like. Um, Leading a small group is what that could look like. Serving people here in the church, in the body, right? If you're a more mature Christian, get at me, right? Say you're interested in a small group. We'll plug it here, right? Lead a small group if you're a more mature Christian, right? If you're on campus, start a campus service group. I, I don't know what, what you guys can do down there, right? Uh, me and some guys started a bar ministry for a while, um, and couldn't do it be, uh, after so long because of uh, schedule conflicts and stuff where four or five of us would get together who don't have a drinking problem and have never had drinking problems. And we would get together and we would go to noggins on Thursday nights and try to talk to people because whenever people drink, they want to talk about Jesus for some reason. It's insane. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about. You're on the campus, right? Um, right, but we went down there and we did that. And believe it or not, it was pretty cool. Like we had some pretty awesome conversations with people. Got to share the gospel with people in bars. Uh, we have a brother here named Keenan uh, Fox who he's wanting to he's wanting to start up a, a nursing home kind of ministry to just go in and, and talk to the elderly and the infirm um, about Jesus and love on them and, and tell them that how much we love them and show them how much we love them. Right? It can look like anything. Just go and do something. Right? And don't ask for my permission. Right? Don't ask for Ryan's permission. Um, if, it's, if it's not against any biblical ideas, go and do it. Get people together and go for it for the glory of God. You know, if you need advice, we're here. If you, need, if you don't know how to start up, get, it, like, get at me. I'll, we will do whatever we can to help you get it started up. But go and own something. Do something if you're a Christian. And I say do something, and we've said this before at Revolution, and I mean it. Apathy is not an option for us. He says love your neighbor. Not caring about your neighbor and not caring about stuff is never an option for us. We have to go for it. So I challenge you, do something. Start a ministry. Get, put your heads together with your friends and say, what can we do to impact the people that we're around? But listen, don't do this for me. Because I've guilted you. Um, don't do it for revolution. Because we're nothing. Do it for the kingdom. Do it for the king, Jesus. Serve because you were served. Run to the broken because you were the broken. Show mercy because you were shown mercy. Be a neighbor because Jesus was the ultimate neighbor and love others because you love God. You get a revolution first tonight. You guys get tag team. We haven't got a name for our duo yet, though. Tag me in. Cool. All right. We're going to work on our special moves. <laughs> oh, anyway... Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm, I'm one of the, the pastors here at Rev. So 
couple of pieces of business we need to take care of or that I need to take care of. Um, it's always been our goal from the beginning uh, to be open, to be authentic, to be genuine. Um, and that is really easy when it's really cool. That means we can just hang out and we don't have to use like proper words or um, 90% of the time it's an excuse for David and I to make some reference to some movie that we've seen that's quasi inappropriate and we probably shouldn't know, but we say it anyway. Uh, we're open and authentic, so it's cool. Um, that's usually how that works. But sometimes uh, that means that we need to do things like repent. And and this weekend, it was uh, it was a great weekend. Some, some of the guys were here, um, and it was awesome. Um, and then there's parts of it that's crushing. So... Um, they had a time where we could repent, um, and they kind of called us to repentance, to be men that would lead, um, and and I'm sitting here going through my through my deal, and, you know, as as something that I do anyway, it's you kind of keep a laundry list of things that you're struggling with, so, you know, I could be a better, a better father, a better husband, don't amen, Christy, um, I could be, you know, all these things. Um, and, and the odd part is I was talking to Dustin at a break and we were talking about Job. Um, and, and one of my favorite passages from that is when God just fillets Job and tells him to dress for action like a man. Um, and Dustin and I were arguing about which was version was better because he likes the King James version because he's weird. Um, and, and that's literally what God, God did. So, I would guess about a year and a half or so, uh, things started getting a little bit crazy here. People started started leaving. Um, you know, so, some of the guys in leadership started leaving, um, and and I really lost focus uh, of the gospel. I really took my eyes uh, from the weight and the lens of the gospel, um, and ended up at a point where I had this attitude that that I was serving God. Uh, here and that my duties at Rev and what I'm doing here um, was like a favor for God. So if you can understand that correctly, um, as I'm having this kind of prayer conversation with God, um, we get to that point um, and it goes as if, so I'm the one who puts breath in your lungs. I'm the one who wakes you up every morning I'm the one that keeps you here on earth, but you're doing me a favor by doing what I command you to do. That's how we're going to roll. Um, needless to say, that that ended with me face first in the carpet. Um, but I want you to know that it's important that we're open. Um, two parts of that. So the first part is I want to be open and genuine. I want the culture at Ref to be open and genuine. Not just so Dave and I can tell you that we used to watch inappropriate movies at one time and still remember some of the lines. Um, we need to be open and honest about forgiveness. We need to be open and honest about when we screw up. Uh, we need to be open and honest so we can um, hold each other accountable. And the second part of that is in order for us to have restitution, in order for, for me to have forgiveness, I need to make it right with you. I need to ask you for forgiveness, for having this attitude, um, for just totally forsaking the weight of the gospel, the God of all creation. Um, and I'm, t- I'm doing him a favor. Uh, it's such a, a level of arrogance and pride. Um, and there's times I wonder, and I've seen it and, and it, and it breaks my heart 
that for people who claim to believe in, in grace um, and the sovereignty of God, we can be so graceless. We really can. We can treat other churches. We can treat other people um, where we look for their faults. We look for all the things where their doctrine, their theology doesn't line up with Scripture. And we spend more time looking at that crap than helping people outside these walls. And it's wrong. It's flat out wrong. That's not the culture that we want here. That's not why revolution started. It started because outside these walls, there are hurting, dying people that need Jesus. They don't give a crap about who believes what, when we get saved, what happens when we get saved, whether there's a rapture or not. They're dying. How long will we wait before there's another drug overdose in the East End? What could we have done? So I want to change that. I have no idea how. But I know it starts with me. It starts with David. Um, And so we may see huge changes um, as we go forward. But I want you to be concerned with the weight of the gospel. I want the weight of the love that Christ showed for you to, to, to weigh you down. Not as a burden, but as something that's always on your mind. And the only way that I know that that can happen for you is to give you the same opportunity that I had, which is to to seriously consider um, where you're at and repent. So we're going to do things a little bit different tonight. We usually go crazy with some fast songs and slow songs, whatever. We're going to keep it low-key. Um, And I just pray that the Spirit would move tonight. Um, And for those of us who have screwed it up, who've got it backwards, who have been worried about what doctrine is correct, what churches are correct, what churches are not, and so bold as to call them out by name, when maybe they're the ones actually trying to reach people and we're too busy criticizing about what they believe. Ain't right. So I'm going to pray. We're going to come up. We're going to sing. Um, Again, we'll have some folks around the couch this is not our MO. We don't do this, but the, the, the floor is open up here. If, there's, if you guys need to pray, um, if we need to hit our knees and ask God for forgiveness, uh, we're going to do that tonight. I know that's, that's too Pentecostal for us. We're, rev, we're revolution. We don't do that, but we're doing it. it just, this is the way it's going to go. So um, let's just pray and, and see what happens. Lord, we thank you, um, as always, for the opportunity to come and worship Uh, and to hear a message from you. We thank you for your son. Uh, We thank you for the gospel, for the weight of of the gospel, for how you've loved us uh, when we were were filthy, dirty, half dead in a ditch, and you picked us up. You pulled us out of that ditch, and then you paid a way for us to become whole. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, constantly remind us, put it in our hearts, burden us with the idea that there are people outside of these walls that are dying, that don't know you. They're far from you. And Lord, we have the answer. We have the remedy. We have the cure. Lord, just tug at our spirit, burden our hearts to reach those that we could begin to cause change because of your spirit working in us. 
Lord, I pray as we sing tonight that your spirit would come and those who are here that need to repent, Lord, that your spirit would grant them the opportunity to come and repent. Lord, I just pray that you would just continue to move in our hearts, continue to move in revolution, continue to make us an open and honest community of believers. Lord, and most of all, that we can be a body, a group of believers that bring you glory and honor in what we do. In your name we pray, amen. You guys are go ahead and stand. This is where we're going to song. And like Ryan said, if there's anything you guys want to pray about, floors open, come up, repent. Um, that we can start serving and loving people the way that.